0: all right let's do this how are you what the fuckers what the fuck buddies what the fuck nicks what's happening i'm mark marin this is my podcast wtf what is someone's texting me what is esther pavitsky what is she asking me what is she asking me esther do i ever make my own salsa curious what you do when you want a good salsa i don't know i i guess i have made why am i asking i'm answering esther on a text that's going to be days ago by the time you guys listen to this I guess pico de gallo I've made. Is that, would you call that salsa? I used to do that. I used to be hung up with that. I used to be like, I got to make the perfect pico, which is, I don't know if it's salsa, but I think that's what a lot of people call salsa. It's basically, what is it? Tomatoes. And uh, I put some howlies in there, some cilantro. I guess onions, cilantro. I guess I wasn't pronouncing something right in my Quebecois. Is that even right? The, uh, <laughs> where i'm performing in uh montreal it's uh it's uh the uh saul saul claude le Veille. i don't i can't do it it's in the place des arts place des arts I, i'm so fucking awful it's sold out doesn't matter i believe it's sold out i don't know you can go check that's my solo show on thursday and friday july 28th and 29th in uh uh, Montreal. Place seats like nine. So I sold out two shows. I'm a hero. I'm a winner. I'm a huge success. I sold I sold out a place that's sat, that seats 13 quickly. Fuck it, man. I got to go up there next week. This week, what am I talking about? Today I'm talking to a Jerry Harrison. Jerry Harrison was in two of the best bands ever. And I got to talk to him. He was in The Modern Lovers and The Talking Heads. He also produced a lot of records. Like Violent Femmes, Live, Big Head, Todd and the Monster. A lot more. He's going on tour. And he also, I found out, uh, is a tech investor and and, and something to do with toxins. Yeah, it's a, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. He's going on tour, paying tribute to the Remain in Light era of The Talking Heads. And he's doing a show here in Los Angeles at the Wiltern in September with Adrian Ballou, the guitar wizard that is Adrian Ballou. So look, the Talking Heads, obviously. Great band. for at least, uh, The first few albums, amazing. I'd say, what, Talking Heads 77, More Songs About Buildings and Food, Fear of Music, uh, Remain in Light. I remember, I I'm trying to remember the first time. Obviously, I think the first time we all heard the talking, Heads probably Psycho Killer, talking Heads 77, then their cover of Take Me to the River, and then, uh, you know, you get into all the other stuff. Needless to say, as time went on, and I come to everything late, I got to be honest with you, mild obsession with Jonathan Richmond. Who doesn't have a mild obsession with Jonathan Richmond? right? The Modern Lovers record is one of the greatest records ever. And there's a mythology behind it. I try to get into it a bit with Jerry. I think it's still fragmented to me. But, you know, I talk to him about it. And uh, I listen to that record so much. And Jonathan Richmond, like, there's some songs on there, like, When you get out of the hospital, let me back into your life. I mean, what? What? She cracked. I'm sad, but I won't. Come on, hippy Johnny. Come on, Hippie Johnny. I mean, that Modern Lovers record, that first one, fucking unbelievable. And then you're like, what happened to Jonathan Richmond? Then he started doing like you know, kind of child songs almost. I'm a little airplane, yeah, yeah. I'm a little airplane, yeah, yeah. And then like you know, the original Modern Lovers is gone. Jerry Harrison goes on to the heads. David Robinson. Goes on to uh, the cars, the bass player Ernie Brooks, genius. I don't know. I I, I talked to Jerry a bit about that, but if you listen to the Modern Lovers record, like I almost that was almost all I wanted to talk about with Jerry Harrison, was that fucking Modern Lovers record and Jonathan Richmond and him. Jerry Harrison is genius on the Modern Lovers record. He owns that record. Those keyboards, Jonathan Richmond's voice, all of it. It's a fucking Great record. And we talk about it a lot, pretty much. And I'm just fascinated with Jonathan. Like, what happened to that guy? What kind of, what is that guy? He's a mysterious figure to me. A sort of like a sweet figure, an innocent figure, but like something deep is going on in there. And he put out all those records with different versions of the Modern Lovers or solo records. Some of them I think were good, but I, I kind of, it got away from me. So so me and Jerry talk about the modern lovers record and like where he was before that and then getting into the heads and going through the you know, talking heads discography. I don't know that I didn't get the sense of him and Byrne were friends. I don't know if that's contentious, but you know, Jerry was diplomatic. But then the beautiful part about the conversation I have with Jerry is, you know, he's he's friendly again with Jonathan. And I'm like, Jonathan, what about he's recording again with Jonathan? You'll hear. You'll hear. But in all honesty, I was excited to talk to Jerry because I still listen to the Talking Heads. I'm 58, and it's in my regular rotation. I've been listening a lot to Fear of Music and actually remain in light as well, but mostly Fear of Music, like recently, a lot, like once a week maybe, and that was before I even knew that I was going to talk to Jerry. I did listen to The Modern Lovers. I do listen to that, especially I'm Straight, uh, Hospital, Um, She Cracked, and my favorite, Old World. Uh, on that record. I listen to all those still. And that that was even a little before my time. But uh, I was just excited to talk about this stuff. So you get to hear me. You get to hear me do that. You get to hear me talking about that. With Jerry Harrison. And also Jerry Harrison's solo stuff. Pretty girl, young man, old man, man with a gun. Two people in love. The rules do not apply. Do not apply apply pretty girl young man old man man with a gun fucking those the casual gods record good shit all right let's just get on with it as i said before jerry harrison is uh doing the remain in light tour with adrian Ballou on september 29th at the Wiltern in los angeles tickets are on sale now and this is me talking to jerry harrison of the modern lovers and of the talking heads two of the greatest bands ever
1: I listened to the interview you did with Bonnie Raitt.
0: She's great. She tuned my guitar for me.
1: And she also what said about how she did it on her middle finger. Yeah.
0: I went to college with her. You
1: did? Yeah, she, at Harvard? Yeah, she used to come over to my house to play guitar with I one of my roommates.
0: And so you knew her pretty well? Mm, I know her.
1: Yeah. I know her fairly well. Yeah. I wouldn't like we don't hang out together. Sure. And, uh, we but you have, knew her in college. I knew she her in grew, college a little yeah. bit, but she pretty quickly moved off into that whole thing with Dick Waterman. The folk and, thing? Yeah, and then, you know, and all the blues artists that yeah, she had yeah. to meet through him and then left school. I don't think she ever graduated. We just had our 50th reunion. It's insane. Did you go? I did,
0: really? Like who? Like uh, like Harvard is such a, pre- a prestigious, yeah, kind of a grooming ground for all things. Who was in? Who else was there that that we would know? Chuck Schumer. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you and Schumer are contemporaries. That's, That's right. Weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Different um, paths. And
1: actually, my roommate in college was William Randolph Hearst the third. Really, yeah, a uh, Hearst, yeah, and I was good friends with him, really good friends. did you guys ever go up to the uh, to Saint Sam Simeon and swim in the pool? We never we went up to the horse ranch mm. and we uh would stay there and actually, we had one adventure that could have uh, oh. gone really bad. I had this uh Asian girlfriend who yeah. was wearing not really proper hiking shoes, and we went for a Up into the mountains, and we were going so slowly. It started Mm. to get dark and and cold. Oh! And we finally said the only place we can see is to get near the river. And I said we're gonna have to go into the water to see. I took one step or two, and then I was like swimming. Oh wow! It's like now we're wet.
0: Yeah, and And it's gonna drop
1: to fifty degrees. So we have to
0: get out now. Yeah, or or someone's gonna die. After death. Yeah. And what happened? You got out. We got out. Oh. But it
1: was it was we all went down. It was like took showers for about forty five minutes. You know it was.
0: But it's like the that's interesting though because like Hearst, you guys are. But you don't come from that, right? I mean, right? no, I don't. Oh. It, it, that's the interesting thing about Harvard is you just have smart people that worked hard elsewhere, and then you get these guys who like whose parents own the world. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Where'd you come from? I'm from
1: Milwaukee. I like Milwaukee. It's a great city. Do you still have family there? I have no family other than the, my new family, the one I've oh, created. Everyone's um, gone? Yeah. I mean, my I didn't have any brothers and sisters, and mm-hmm. I had no cousins. Wow. So I had more distant family, and I'm sure they exist, but yeah. we were not close enough that it continued. I just played there at the
0: Turner Hall Ballroom. Sure. It's great. Yeah. And it seems to be, you know, like kind of trying to re-arise. And you know what the Turners are, right? No. They're gymnasts.
1: Are they? They're gymnasts from Eastern Europe. Really? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know the history. Yeah. And in fact, one of my teachers in grade school was uh, a Turner. Was always trying to get... Was there things. a lot of them? I don't know. I mean... But they, how'd they own the city? How'd they get the name on the ballroom? Why would... Why because yeah, the Turn- was, it was there that's where their club was. I think they practiced gymnastics at that. Oh. Time. Huh. That's
0: and then interesting. they would and then
1: they'd rent it out too. So did you was your were you playing as a kid? Mhm. Interestingly, my high school band, yeah. The uh, well the second one, the guitar player went on and became Leonard Cohn's guitar player for 25 years. Oh. Bob metzger wow that's a, that they have an interesting sound it's like that gypsy sound, yeah. and the bass player went on it yeah. was Johnny winter's bass player for ten years what and then played with like uh all these different people Bo diddley and all what's these his different name names. John Paris I know that name, yeah, t- totally into the blues, and then the lead singer went on and became uh the president of the a i a what's that? The American Institute of Architects. This is your band in high school? Yeah. I mean, this is this little suburban high school. And then the drummer went off and fought as a Marine in Vietnam. Uh Uh-huh. And then came back. And he actually, when David Robinson got so frustrated in the Modern Lovers, he was the drummer for a little while.
0: Your Marine uh, ex-bandmate? Yeah.
1: Yeah, So he came back and he was living in... I got him to get out of Milwaukee. I said, you can't... He was going nuts after he got out of the military. Yeah. And he uh, came back, and I said, "You gotta go. there's a school called Bennington in Bennington, Vermont. It's all dancers and beautiful girls. We, yeah. we, the, I've had the best time with my college band going up and playing there. Yeah, He said, that they was... just opened it up for, to boys. Apply, you'll get in. <laughs> and he did, and then he went there, <laughs> and so that I'd see him when we would play up there, and then yeah. he moved to Boston, then moved to New York. We're still friends. He lives in Seattle now. He, he was a solid drummer? He didn't have the opportunity to grow into being what he could be, let's just say. I mean, I only know him as a high school drummer, and he wasn't... There was a guitar player in that band who was very precocious and who was the leader of the band, and... uh, And what did he end up doing? He became a chef, and then he died a while ago, but he would go off... There was a a guy named Junior Brantley, Mm. who uh, was in a band called Junior and the Classics, Uh and he now is... He's quite elderly now, but he's a Little Richards impersonator in in Las Vegas. That's insane. And his son is a Michael Jackson impersonator. Weird. Where's that documentary? I know. And he came back. We, we They did a show at Summerfest, yeah. the, the big festival there. Yeah. And it was sort of like, let's have the old Milwaukee bands play. So I went back to this. I didn't play at Summerfest, but they had a concert at Shank Hall. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And so- junior was there and i love this line i go junior how you doing and he goes i
0: looks good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to. You start using that right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, but when you left, it, like, so you got into Harvard, and but your plan was what? It wasn't music, was no, it? It was not music. I
1: sold all my musical instruments. Do you remember what you
0: had? Do you regret yeah. those things? Selling? Of course, yeah,
1: of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a, I had a Showman a, a amplifier. I had a. Um, Wurlitzer electric piano. Oh, yeah. And a, a local locally made organ called a Lesman. Oh, wow. And but the the Fender distributorship was interestingly in Milwaukee for the entire Midwest at that yeah. time. A uh, a steel guitar player named Ralph Hansel. Yeah. So, when I got to college, this guy who lived downstairs from me who became, it's Ernie Brooks who was in The Modern Lovers with me. He at, became, Har- at Harvard? At Harvard. He became my best friend yeah. and we joined The Modern Lovers together. Yeah. Still a musician. He formed a band and I used to go hear them and, I, and I'd i always thought of myself, well, I'm not really good enough to be a professional musician, but I went, well, I'm as good as these guys so I can have fun doing Yes. So the next summer I went back and went out to West Allis Music and bought a trailer full of used fender amplifiers. Yeah. Yeah. So I bought a twin reverb, I got a dual showman, I got two single showman bottoms with a wow. showman head. Yeah. For, you know, like something like thirteen hundred dollars. I got like six amps wow. or something like yeah, that, right? Yeah. You know, and brought it all back. Yeah. And then we were this college band that then we would play outside when the strikes like when we when Harvard went on strike about the Vietnam War and things like that.
0: And you, so what were you playing? Covers?
1: Yeah, largely covers. I think we had a couple of originals that were not particularly good. So what were you studying at Harvard? I thought at first that I might be interested in oceanography. I thought I'd be a scientist. Oh Yeah? And I I uh, actually, the geology department, this was sort of amazing. So I yeah. arrived at Harvard and, and orientation week, I get this invitation to come to a sherry at the geology department. Oh, oh yeah, okay. And I get there. I'm the only undergraduate there. Huh. It was not a very popular major at this time. So yeah. I, this is one of the best departments in the world. And I appear to be the only person who has noted that I might be interested in oceanography or geology or something yeah. like that. So they said, we've got a whole plan for you. And so do you know the author and the, the paleontologist, Stephen J. Gould? Yeah. So he was my section man. He's like he's like a genius. That's right. He was. I knew him really well. He, yeah. He was my section man, and he had just come up from Columbia. I think just gotten his PhD. Yeah. He was largely a paleontologist, but he wrote extensively about. Darwin and the theory right, of evolution. Right, yeah, 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 He had this theory called punctuated evolution. And, yeah.
0: But he was also a very clear writer. So he had New York Times bestsellers. Oh, yeah, always, yeah. Yeah. And he was your guy? Yeah, he was my guy. And, what, and so what was the major that you cobbled
1: together? Well, I ended up deciding I wanted to be an architect. So there was a new major called Visual and Environmental Studies. Huh. And it was a complete mess. Yeah. And so I said, I just have to take control of this. I talked my way in, I had no work. But my mother and my grandmother were painters and I did a lot of artwork when I was young with
0: my mother. Yeah, what kind of painter?
1: Abstract, Uh, figurative? Abstract
0: and figurative. My mother could do anything. So you grew up in that world, you grew up in a creative world. What did your dad do? He was in advertising. Okay, he could draw. He could write. He could, yeah, could sell. Yeah,
1: and <laughs> and my grandmother and my mother were amazing painters. Oh yeah, I think. And my yeah. aunt was an amazing photographer. She and Ray Eames were very close friends. Oh yeah, she died in 1951, so I only knew her for a couple of years. Mm. So I talked my way into this major, and then I I, I learned. To, so, I started my sophomore year taking these courses and it was all, they, they tried to make it, you know, it's Harvard, so they don't let you just be sort of about art. It's yeah. about how do we s- get over like being, doing drawing, let's uh-huh. skip to the theories and right. stuff like that. Yeah. So, there was a, a guy named Rudolf Arnheim who had this whole thing about perception, about the difference. The philosopher? Was he a philosopher? Well, he, he, it was more like he was a psychologist mm. and, and early, very much predated what we now know from neuroscience about, uh, he talked a lot about gestalt psychology and perception, Mm. and how your mind, we know that like lenses don't see corners, but our mind knows there's a corner there, so we see a corner. Oh, okay. And this idea that, and and I then learned this also in information theory, I took this course of that, Claude Shannon's work about that the the value of a message is the, it's basically how surprising it is. Hmm. So, if it's not surprising, there's very little information, and the more surprising it is, the more information.
0: Yeah, that seems to have taken over culture.
1: But it's also the way the brain works. Hmm. The brain predicts what's going to happen all the time, and then looks for anything that might be break the which also means why break the pattern break the pattern yeah. like oh my god there's a lion there yeah 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 or you know or like oh there's a car very in here so you what's
0: know. this how does this play into uh, so they, environmental so, so
1: he and... thought of it as uh, it, it was not particularly environmental at or, that or time. visual or like well, how does it play so into there
0: the was painting there was
1: sculpture yeah. there were architecture courses there was filmmaking there was animation there was photography you did all that I, the only thing I didn't do was photography I did animation I did filmmaking you studied it yeah, and I actually got very, I was really into paintings and sculptures, and I I took this, I talked my way into this course that was way advanced for me, and I had two professors with six people for six hours a week. Yeah, And there was only one other woman who really took it seriously, so really these two professors were like our, you know, we were sort of apprentices to what them. What was the course on? It was, you know, advanced design or something like that. Mm. And it was, and then the, the elder professor died and this younger professor sort of became my mentor huh. so I took independent studies with him and did my thesis with him on what actually it was uh, I did paintings of of can openers I did a whole series of sculptures and paintings about can that were like inspired by that simple
0: yeah and you, can you they were your paintings yes so uh, somehow or another, you managed to kind of pull together a, a fairly uh, broad, uh, active visual arts degree out of Harvard.
1: That's right, and I, you know, two of my uh, the animation teachers both won the Oscars, really? in- independently, and so. So this sets you up to be in a rock band? Uh, not really, but <laughs> you know, I, and so I was.
0: Uh, my, I met Jonathan Richmond. But like you would, that's such a diverse, like a, a diverse kind of like you know, brain filling experience. I mean, because you know, like you were really in two of the best bands ever. Really, it, well, thank it, you. It's rare that somebody's in two of the best bands ever. Right? You know, in, impactful bands uh, for for different reasons. I think. But like, it seems that in the Talking Heads, from the beginning, all that stuff that you put into your head must have played into it. Yes. Because that was like that was the. The whole scene was sort of based in something, you know, uh, 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 defining uh, what art was at that time. Exactly. Mm. And in fact, there was something in the
1: uh, Talking Heads music where they had taken, you might say, a concept that you would have in painting, which was at that time where you would take a you know something that was jarring and put it right next to something else that, uh-huh. the, that there was not a smooth transition it was like really uh, what, why oh yeah you know a plaid yeah. with a weird stripe with the yeah. you know but it was purposeful to, you know sure have an impact so you think of a song like artists only the parts of it are absolutely they seem to have no connection yeah i mean one of the things i did when i joined the talking heads you know they were a trio before i joined yeah. and i helped create some connections between the parts though of them of that they had in these songs that had been written. Oh, well, let's do let's let's get to that. Let's talk about Jonathan. Okay, so Jonathan wandered into my apartment with a bunch of Andy Warhol superstars. Really? What yeah. was he 12? No, he was I think 17 or something like that. Okay. And, and this at, was at Harvard. At Harvard. Yeah, Well, we were living off campus. Yeah. And where? Uh, on Putnam Avenue. Okay, in Cambridge. In Cambridge. Okay. Same place that Bonnie used to come over and play guitar. Okay. And uh, he comes in and he's raving about the Velvet Underground and Loaded had just come out and he's explaining why that really only Sweet Jane and Rock and Roll were sung by Lou because he had left the band
0: and then Doug Ewell right. sang all the rest of the songs and and also like I talked to Kale you know and Kale like really you know characterized Jonathan as this guy that was always hanging around that's the ins- velvet underground that's exactly right I, I mean he had gone
1: down to new york and lived in i think the albert hotel or something like this uh-huh. and,
0: when he was a teenager
1: yeah yeah I, mean, I think he just got i think he graduated from high school and then okay. me- immediately went and did that he'd come back and he we used to see him every once in a while he would do these shows on cambridge common by himself yeah wearing a plastic motorcycle jacket <laughs> And so he wanders in my apartment, and I was making a film, and I go, he needs to be in my film because he's a contrast to the other people I'm interviewing. He sees something positive, as, but something that all these other people see something negative. Yeah. And so I was like listening to the, and I recorded him, and I was listening to the music, and Ernie comes, he goes like, Have you? This is really interesting. It's really different. It's like not like anything else. Yeah. And he was coming over all the time because he was starved for. Um, conversation. Jonathan. Jonathan. And he, what, because he was living at home? Was he living uh, at, where is he from? Where yeah, I think he was living in Natick at home. Oh, yeah. And he'd come in, and so finally he said to Ernie and me, why don't you join the band? And we said, okay. So both of us dropped out of Harvard, second semester senior year. To join uh, the band? To, to join the Modern Lovers. Um, fortunately- Did were, he have a band, though? He had a sort of trio that was sort of, it sort of changed membership. But David Robinson was playing with him by this time. Yeah. And John Felice sometimes would play with yeah. him. And so we joined the band and we stuck in going to school the next semester. We actually rented a house, like a, someone's house that they lived in in the summer. Yeah. And down on in Cohasset so we could make loud music because nobody yeah. was there. Yeah. And we would commute back and forth to college. I mean, actually, for me, it was really good. I, I ended up getting a summa cum laude on my thesis because I had a year and a half to
0: do it. I know. I, I You do, you can, if you have the time, yeah. you know, when you're not stressed out, you can, like, nail it. That's right. And, yeah. And, and then the band was
1: developing, and then in the spring of 1972, so just after we finished uh, that one semester, was when Lillian Roxon wrote this article about us in the, that was in the Daily News uh-huh. and then all these people started to come and see us. Yeah, and this is before the record. Before the record. But it was in, I think, the spring of 72 that we went out and recorded the record that everyone knows now because it was a
0: demo tape for Warner Brothers and for A&M. With uh, Pablo Caso. uh right. uh Yeah. Uh, Roadrunner. Roadrunner. I'm, uh, a guy I used to be roommates with just wrote a book on the song Roadrunner really yeah he's at UC Davis he's like a cultural criticism it's a book Mm. about Roadrunner about where it came from and its impact Uh, it's a very unique sort of he's a very high level thinker this guy Josh Clover I I haven't quite tackled the whole book yet I gotta go get that Though I'll show it to you it's it's you you would dig it man yeah Uh, cuz he's sort of contextualizing it you know, historically, but also uh, in the impact it had not only on music, but he talks about Boston a lot. He talks about the geography of the of the album That's and of right. the song. Right. You know, it's all very specific. I listen to that record still. I listen to uh, uh, Old World, I love yes. Old World, and I love I'm uh, uh, um, Straight, what's you, you want? Hippie Johnny? That's right, yeah. What, yeah. Hip- <laughs> Did you know Hippie Johnny? Uh, no <laughs> but it used to be hippie
1: ernie it did and then ernie who was in the band said jonathan do you mind like changing the name it really <gasps> oh, so you did know johnny it was ernie but but he, but, he, but and we did look more like hippies um i have and uh, ernie played bass he played bass yeah. and but he had written the song before he ever met ernie so 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 he when you guys showed up how much how much songs were written all of them most of the ones on the first record uh there were songs that, there were songs that developed as we as we rehearsed,
0: and what was unique about working with him? Why was he like because there's an earnestness to it all and, and a sort of sort of a seeming simplicity, but what was it that makes him and that album so special to you? Well, I think that
1: to me the modern lovers in some ways are the beginning of what of the Ethos that became punk music. Uh-huh. Now uh-huh. I know Iggy disagrees with this because the he Stooges does. are often well, that's '69, uh, right? Yeah, so are, it's a, are part of are part of that. But you know, sort of, it's the Velvet Underground, then the Stooges, then the Modern Lovers,
0: right? And Patti Smith, right. and then it
1: exploded in my mind.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, like well, they can everything can coexist. Yeah. Right. I mean, because you know, the Stooges, there's a lot of menace and yes. raw sexuality, whereas Jonathan brought a lot of sort of sweetness That's right. to the whole thing. And what? then Patty, this is Patty. Yeah. She's it, still Patty.
1: Yes. And Jonathan also, Jonathan wanted, he knew that to get attention, do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. Uh-huh. And so one of the things that was why I realized, it was why I finally realized I could be a professional musician because when I was I'm going there is no other music in the world that is like this and therefore it will
0: have an impact uh-huh. and I really have this theory so that, that goes back to Arnheim in a way right yes. yeah, that's, uh, yeah. yeah.
1: and I also I thought that uh, that you know the culture was really determined by the musicians more than anybody else I mean I felt that sort of Bob sure. Dylan and the sure. Beatles were more important than John Kennedy. And, sure,
0: and, you know certainly I mean, starting in the '60s, but maybe even earlier with yeah. Elvis. And you that's know, right, yeah.
1: And you know, you know, of course, lining up and to get a record at a record, yeah. it was the unveiling of this new
0: thing. Yeah. Was, it's so
1: different now. To me, it's like music is the background of people's lives now.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know what the hell is going on right now. Yeah, I can't say that I do either, I mean- (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because I was thinking about you and about the records, because I listen to, I like the the Casual Gods record. Thank you. You know, I I mean, that Man with a Gun, there's a few songs on there that I still listen to, they're still in the mix, and I was just, I was thinking about the heads and everything else and about when I was growing up, because like, you know, I graduated high school in 81. And you know, I remember going to see "Stop Making Sense" when I was in you know college, my second year of college, when it was sort of coming out, right? And just that there were, the whole aesthetic of it was you know elevating you know what was going to become postmodern art. I mean, mm. and then when David started working with Robert Wilson and that whole world, right, of of music and art seemed to be all working together. Uh, it, well, part of it is
1: that there was a recession in New York City, mm. so there was cheap property, and also the economics of unionized labor. In the early seventies. In the early seventies. And so there was a lot of the reason that artist lofts opened up is all of this sure. light industry and a lot of the textiles and it's like that. They got it got pushed to first of all to North Carolina and then
0: overseas. And uh-huh. So you could get, you could rent was cheap. Or You could buy a a building. That's right on 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 oh. Second Street. I know for a nickel.
1: I know. Well, I, of course, I feel stupid about the things I didn't do. But right. but uh,
0: and I had a, an absolutely beautiful loft on Prince Street. Eventually. Oh yeah. So yeah. what happens with the Modern Lovers? So like, how does that? How do you move? So that record came out. Didn't come out till when? Seventy six. So That's we crazy. Had, we had broke it up by then, as far
1: as as far as the original. Why? Band. Jonathan had moved into his, we'll say his the, the delicate ch- light state. Like, hey, they're little insect. The ch- uh, oh,
0: the children's music.
1: Yeah, I'm a little airplane. Yeah, and, and and I, it was finally like we were trying to get quieter, and Ernie and I tried to be more adaptable. Uh-huh. David threw up his hands and he moved to, back to L. So we came out here then to L. A. We came back out here. We'll be signed with Warner Brothers and tried to make an album, and that with
0: Jonathan. With Jonathan. After the first one.
1: After, well, that was a demo tape. So we thought, we never thought we had made the real album. Right. And then we, it didn't work with Kale because he would say things like to Jonathan, like, Jonathan, when you play this solo, I want you to be really mean. And Jonathan would go, But John, I don't feel mean. (laughs) (laughs) So. It was and uh, then somehow Kim Fowley, who had always been sort of hovering around us, ended up trying to work with us. Hovering in, a, in an ominous way? Yeah. I mean well, He's it's kind a, of a creep, ex, explo, right? exploit exploitative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but David and Jonathan kind of lay like talking to him. He's a good talker. And uh, who, Kim? Kim. Yeah. So we we ended up working with him. Actually, interestingly, we worked like where Phil Spector worked at Gold Star. Yeah. And one of the crickets was the the assistant engineer and Stan, who did all of Buddy Holly's band, yeah, and no all kidding. of Stan, who did all of Spector's records with our engineer. Huh. But the session, there's only a couple of songs. There's that one, the plea for tenderness, uh-huh. that came out of that session where yeah. the, where the tape runs out, Jonathan yeah, yeah. hasn't finished, and that came out at some point. Uh, so how is Kale's name on that first record? Because he produced the majority of the songs as a demo tape for Warner Brothers. Oh, interesting. I did this thing that I we were getting so many people wanting to sign us. Yeah. That I and we had this sort of idea that we we the money would be great and the the seeming enthusiasm of one of the of an A and R person. Yeah. But we kinda wanna understand is the company enthusiastic? Yeah. So I somehow convinced A and M and Warner Brothers to share the burden of flying us to the West Coast to meet the, everyone in the record company. So they each set up a demo session while we were here and that's how that record came about. That first, that's why they released it. And then they didn't release it. They sold it to Berserkly, this guy Matthew Kaufman. Yeah. And we all got really screwed. <laughs> I mean, I made $5,000. That was all. And that stopped there. That was it. That was it. Until life. until years years later where it, someone had bought it away from Kim and someone wanted, there were some reasons for like Sanctuary to make a deal and Wow. So we made a little more money.
0: And it's it. like one of the most kind of m- mythic records. It's like, you know. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's a defining record. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have two copies of it. When I found the original one, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, even those used copies, it's not cheap used. Yep. Do you have a copy of it? Yes. Oh, good. So so Jonathan wants to do his acoustic children's right. music in a way or whatever yeah. that is
1: and so David left and he moved out and joined a band that was in LA Robinson for a while he yes. ended
0: up in the cars
1: right that's right so then he moved back to Boston and then Ernie and I tried playing with Jonathan with this guy Bob Turner who had been the drummer in my high school band after he'd gotten back from being the Marine the Marine in yeah, Vietnam yeah okay and then, just finally, it was like Jonathan was just being ridiculous about how quiet it had to be. And it was finally, it's like this is there's no place for me in here.
0: There's yeah. nothing, there's nothing for me to do. And you were playing primarily what uh, keyboards uh, at that time. Although was it uh, an organ? What was it? Electric piano.
1: It was an electric piano yeah. and an organ. Yeah, and I. Uh then I went I, I had like a little weird I had a couple of little weird Italian organs and then a little mini compact farfisa on top oh, yeah. of a Fender Rhodes uh-huh. that I ran through a fuzz tone. Oh wow. <laughs> and uh <laughs> it was uh and then I was like sort of kicking around Cambridge trying to figure out what I was gonna do. Yeah. I um You got your degree? Well I had finished I had gotten my sunk in my degree while in the oh, Modern yeah, right. Lovers and then in I pass Right. And then I went um Well, there's another interesting story. So the second year we went back to Cohasset and we talked our way into uh, this the oldest house in Cohasset. It had 10 bedrooms. Wow. On the beach? Yeah. It was was insanely beautiful. A tennis court. Uh, Oh, wow. And so Ernie and I went down and we brought this friend of ours who's kind of preppy and we wore like blazers and, Uh and said, well, yeah, we're going to come down. And we go like do you have a boring work? I think we might sell the, sail the roads down from mm-hmm. Ernie's place in Maine. <laughs> <into his> place. <laughs> yeah. So we move in, and Miss Christine of the GTOs, Yeah. the Frank Zappa sure. yeah. comes out with the daughter of, I think, what's his name, Walton, who was my favorite Martian?
0: Uh, the actor, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes,
1: and Christine overdoses and dies.
0: At the house. At the house. You were there.
1: I, I tried to revive her, Jonathan came and got me out of the shower and I come running in naked. And Jonathan go, Richmond. Yeah, he goes, yeah. Uh, Christine needs a sh- What? Okay, and I, I come running out and I can't get her mouth open because rigor mortis has set it. Oh, <sighs> man. So I ran across and found the do- a doctor and, well, then the rescue squad came and said, we're not supposed to tell you this, but she's been dead for hours. Oh, man, that's heavy. It was. And it, 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 to a degree, I think, it created a pall over the the modern lovers from that point on. What was that
0: 1970 or seventy one or after? Fall of 1972. Okay. Yeah. And like Miss Christine, how did anyone know her?
1: We were at a party with Andy Warhol at Susan Blonde's apartment. Susan mm-hmm. Blonde had gone to the museum school and then went down mm-hmm. to New York and was in Andy Warhol okay. movies. Yeah. And she was a publicist... That that, at Epic Hmm. and went on to
0: have our own public relations so everyone was kind of connected so how did you get from there to the heads so well there's a little bit so we went out then to LA and tried to do this album the the
1: whole band and we moved here which was a bad idea because we were really fish out of water here we did not fit in it was at the time where everybody was going to the Troubadour dressed dress like in cowboy boots and like
0: oh, so the Tinder teams. songwriter thing. The, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah uh, and there was there was um, Carole
0: King, James Taylor, yeah, Nielsen. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know Jackson Brown, Jackson and, Brown, right, right. You yeah.
1: know, and David Geffen, who wanted to the work Eagles. with us, had introduced us to Jackson Brown, who I'm still friends with. Not yeah, know, when when uh, we're very cordial, we'll be each yeah. other, and. But we just like were, you know, we were New York. I mean, we were at Boston. We were East Coast. And we just felt like, and we didn't have, also, we never really got the money from Warner Brothers. So we were sort of hungry. I mean, like we would do things like go to the Cafe Figaro because we could get pea soup. And then the waitresses would bring us like a pile of bread this high.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just so you know, and it would right. be like
1: ninety cents or something like it's that. It's so
0: weird that, like, you know, even with Jackson Brown, given whatever he was involved with here and at that time, you know, he like in some weird fluke of you know ended up mm-hmm. writing that song that Nico covered. Yeah, right. Was it these days? Is that what it's called? I think so. And he also, yes, exactly. And, and he was her boyfriend too, right? For a minute, for a minute. Yeah, and he hung out with Lou. They went to see a Murray the K review. Like right. I talked to Jackson. Yeah, and there's just these little pockets of people connecting before you know the music business. Until everybody found these weird camps in the in the seventies, exactly. Wild man. So you're eating piles of bread at the Cafe cafes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And, and then what happens?
1: You get- so anyway, so we try to make a record, yeah. and it just does, it sort
0: of disintegrates. Uh, and then we yeah. go back, and
1: then and then we David leaves. We try to do this, and then basically Jonathan, it's just it's not going to work. And yeah. so then basically I put a you know savings into trying to keep the bond and Lovers afloat at times. Yeah. So I was at a pretty bad. Financial situation. Yeah, I ended up then becoming a teaching assistant with this guy who I said was my mentor at Harvard. Oh, at Harvard, yeah, at Harvard for one semester, and then I got a job in a software development company that was. Uh, yeah, actually, could have become Microsoft. I mean, it
0: was. Yeah. Geniuses who. Did you know how to do that shit?
1: I had taken a course in it, and I was, I was, I never was a programmer, but I understand computers. Yeah, and I. I worked in trying to, in more of their marketing. Okay. I actually learned to write there. They did technical writing. They yeah. would write the manuals for mm-hmm. like the Wang uh, computers or yeah, digital yeah. equipment. And so the technical writers, When I if I did more than a letter, it was something that was going to be, they would review it. Right. And they taught me like, w- sort of unlike when you take writing at Harvard, where they want it to be fascinating or interesting yeah, sentence sure. structures or yeah. something like that. Go, we don't care if you repeat it. We just want you to be clear. Yeah, <laughs> and they kind of taught me these techniques that I've tried to teach my children about. You know, you can do an awful lot with colons and lists and stuff like that, and yeah. suddenly it like it breaks it down, and people understand what you're talking about. Yeah, and if you try to write it in flowery prose where you connect it with these various sure. things, sometimes you lose them what are they yeah. i mean you know how you yeah. read like older english and like yeah. the sentence is this long yeah, sure and, and ever since like hemingway the sentence is this yeah. long. yeah having tighten <laughs> <Yeah>. it up that's exactly <laughs> straightforward. right. straightforward short declarative yeah. sentences and so anyway I, that was great and then ernie and i uh did an album and went on tour with elliot murphy elliot murphy was he had signed up to polygram i think and there was a moment, he was a big and Lovers fan, and he. there was a moment where, is Elliot Murphy or Bruce Springsteen going to be the next Dylan? Oh, really? See, I don't even know who Elliot Murphy is. He lives in France now, and he still makes records in France. So I made this record, Night Lights, with him. I just don't even know why I don't know who he is. Yeah,
0: his first record was called Aqua Show. Okay. And, and now i, I got to go figure it out. Yeah, go that, find it. Yeah. And okay.
1: So anyway, we made an album, and I had... I had decided I would apply to architecture school because I'm going, everybody within my department, undergraduate department, will forget who I am and if another year goes by. So yeah. I need to apply, and I postponed that. And so I was just entering that when I met the talking heads. You were just about to go to uh, architecture school? Right. So I did one semester. I said, and they were very nice about this. They let me do one semester so that my parents, so I could then go back. So it was Tina, Chris, and David? Yes. And so- then they go, we want you to come down and jam and play a couple of sh- and just jam. Yeah. So I go, okay, um, I'm kind of broke. I got to figure out how to get there. So Ernie was using the band van to move people. Yeah. And so there was a family that was moving to New York. So I helped him do this. But when we got the van full, there wasn't room for my keyboard. Yeah. So I just took a guitar. So I walk in with a the guitar. They go like, Well, we thought you were a keyboard player. That's what we're looking for. I going, it wouldn't fit in the van. I'm sorry, but I brought a guitar. Let's just play some music. (laughs) It went okay? It went great. It was like, I think that everybody else that when they tried out to be in the band was trying to show off their technique. Mm. And what I did is I listened to I'd watch what David, I'd listen to what David was doing, listen to what Tina was doing, and start by sort of duplicating one of those things, that's strengthening that part, and mm. then kind of starting to then, okay, I'll put a little off of that, and mm-hmm. and so it didn't feel like their whole sound had changed; it felt like it just was enhanced. Oh yeah, and and that's and then the next time I came down, I did bring a keyboard. Yeah, and we played two shows, once at the, one at the Lower Manhattan Ocean Club, and then a private party. In New Jersey, which is that those pictures that are on the name of this band is Talking Heads, yeah. where we're like as we're yeah. playing in some living room, sure, are from that gig. So the second gig I played with the, with the Talking Heads was it like
0: a, a wedding or something. No, it was just some people having a house party. Wow! And what were you playing? All originals? Yeah. Really? Oh, uh, we oh they we did a few
1: things. I think Sugar on My Tongue. I don't I can't even remember who did that and i don't know what else we did that would be a that was a cover but basi- yeah. basically originals
0: did it feel like like something was amazing again i felt this is different than
1: anything else and this is going to create people will recognize artistically this is a great success yeah no idea what its commercial success will be but i want right. to be i want to be a
0: part of this and was that primarily because like what i mean do you get along with david now mm mm-hmm. mhm yeah, because I interviewed him years ago, and he's an interesting guy. And I don't know what Chris and Tina are like, but I, I just don't like. It just seemed that everything was so different about what you guys were doing. They had, they were first of all,
1: everybody in the band is very smart and yeah. very and uniquely talented in their own ways, right? And uh, Chris is, and Chris is a wonderfully solid drummer, yeah. but who also has no. Need or desire to play flashy? Yeah, I mean, yeah. His idea—he never plays drum rolls. He yeah. does a errant, like, bing, bang, you know, on a tom-tom. Yeah, you know. Why? I don't. I really don't know why. But anyway, but he has a like a unmistakable groove. Yeah, and so and David has impeccable rhythm. Yeah. So it was, you know, and, the, and I think that David Robinson is a very even drummer, but I had an easier time feeling Chris's. And were you playing uh, wait, primarily keyboards? Well, I had learned to play guitar because when Jonathan started changing his guitar style, yeah, I said, well, who's going to play the parts like to someone I care about when we try and do this record? Yeah. And he goes, I don't know. I don't want to do it. And I said, well... I can play those. I'll learn to play those parts. So actually, he gave me my first guitar, which uh-huh. I still have. It's yeah. wonderful Telecaster. Yeah, and I taught myself to play guitar so I could play all of those early modern lovers. hunter Lover parts. And he was now doing more flourishy, uh
0: huh, uh huh, because he was starting
1: <laughs> to get into flamenco and all these other, all these <laughs> things that were just the opposite of what he had been a year earlier. Interesting. Right? Yeah. yeah.
0: Do you think that was an? Do you think there was an element of self sabotage to that? Well, it's
1: possible. I think that, I think that, one I think that there was a tension in the modern lovers that worked to our disadvantage, which is, David Robinson wanted us to be a certain kind of perfection. Yeah. Which he everything that this car's early sound was. Yeah, David right. tried to get the modern lovers to do. Right. The idea of the eighth note bass parts that sound like, yummy, yummy, and other. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You sure. Know, yeah. The archies and various sure, things like sure. that, and. Whereas Jonathan and I were more about like we would react to the way the sound of the room was, and, right. and we were so it was really different every time we played it would be different, sometimes really good, yeah, sometimes if we couldn't hear each other very well, yeah. it wasn't terrible, you know, yeah. and we should have just made the record right away and then moved on right, but so there was a little bit of this sort of like, well, we have to get these original things that everybody was interested in recorded right yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And, so there was like, you know, you might say it was sort of like conservatism versus like <laughs> radicalism. <laughs> yeah. You know sure. running into each other. Sure. Yeah. But it was the tension. And it became a tension. And yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then Jonathan had just moved on. So mm-hmm. but if we had made that record, uh, you know, I don't know. Look at it it worked out great, but it, uh, we could have made that record. I don't
0: know if it would have
1: ever been the success that the record it, companies right. imagined. Sure. Uh, sure. Uh,
0: so it's like it's almost like who knows? But the one the thing that was left, <laughs> yeah, those demos that <laughs> became right. the record. But the times had changed, so the, those were
1: perfect for the time. The thing is that the the modern lovers and had at that moment in music to me, you started to have all these things like Everson Lincoln, Palmer, yes, Genesis, all of these people who seemed like they had gone to you know the academy, yeah. And the solos became really grandiose. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. And so we, we were like, uh, no, you know, simple, direct, yeah, short yeah. songs. And, and that's why I say that we're very much like a sort of beginning of punk or the... It, Inspiration for that because it's like short and sweet. Yeah, and use whatever you have around,
0: and you don't have to be the best musician, but if, you will find a way to express yourself. And then, like you know, after that, like whatever happened with the Modern Lovers, and then whatever happened, like you said, it went from there to, you know, to Patty, to you know, whatever was going on in New York in the mid seventies. So, because what what characterized punk at that time is not what punk is now. I talked to Mike White about it once. It was a sensibility that that was not a sound in and of itself. Exactly. So it seemed like at that time in New York that there were so many different things going on the the talking heads and in sort of Tom Verlaine seemed to have this lane. Right. And then there was some other you know, the, the, the full spectrum of stuff. Obviously Blondie was a totally yes. separate one. There right. were
1: bones that were
0: their own. Right. And the dolls were a little earlier but The dolls were,
1: were earlier. There, there's yeah. a famous show of the modern lovers opening for the New York Dolls in New Year's Eve nineteen seventy two. Yeah. Which at the Mercer Arts Center. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Which collapsed. Which right?
1: collapsed yeah. about six months later. And we were up on you know we were up on the top floor. Of this, like, a six-story building it was on Mercer Street. Yeah, and I'm going, oh my God, if there's a fire here, the first thing I did was I checked out the, <laughs> yeah. the, the uh, exits. In yeah. fact, you know that it was sort of a mediocre series, but that uh, vinyl that was a TV series, yeah. where the building f- falls down. Yeah, that was that was sort of it. That was basically it. looked like It looked like a band that looked like the New York Dolls playing. Yeah. It
0: really kind of captured exactly when we played there. Yeah. I can't remember who I talked about it. It must have been Patty. Yeah. Yeah. Um so okay, so that was earlier. And we were friends with the dolls.
1: Yeah. And so the when the and we were living here and then it was like really they came out here and they were like the toast of the sort of groupies at Rodney's English disco. Sure. And
0: we'd we'd go down there and go like You can still see him. He's still sitting over at canners. Yeah. It's amazing, Rodney. Amazing he's still alive yeah. to me. Yeah. 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 Um, but so what you know because what it just it feels like that the the groove that you guys inhabited involved like you know you know robert wilson and 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 lori anderson at some point that there was definitely a kind of minimalist uh uh attention to to rhythm and poetry that was very specific to you your new york thing that's right. right arthur russell that's exactly right
1: yes arthur you know. I knew he's her on a well. couple records. Yeah, right, he worked, he's on a couple of my solo records. And yeah, and Ernie and he worked together a lot. Uh huh. And in fact, we did a, a session one time with John Hammond, the fa- the guy who's right, you
0: mean John Hammond Senior? Yes. Oh no, kidding at uh, Columbia. Where is it? at Columbia? Columbia yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Wow. And it was a really am- <laughs> this was
1: a, sort of an amazing thing. He goes, "Well, gentlemen, I'm I'm going to have to cut the session short. I just it. found out that my son has cut his finger off. He's a carpenter up in Massachusetts." <laughs> And so we're gonna. I'm gonna have to leave. But let's do a couple more
0: takes before I go. <laughs> oh my god! Not the guitar playing son who we didn't have much of a relationship with. That's right. The other that, one. The other one. Yeah. I love the the guitar playing son. He's, yes. Oh my god. But uh, okay. So what happens? What what begins the swell for the Talking Heads? I think that we worked so hard. Mm. We we really toured,
1: and we. I think the Ramones and we were the most ready to go wherever it was to build our audience. Mm -hmm. I think that Blondie became a hit through having, you know, hiring pop producers like Mike Chapman and then Giorgio Moroder and of course the incredible pictures of Debbie that Christine took. Yes. And so they were a sort of phenomenon. Publicity, uh, pop phenomenon. Yeah. Television, I think. Never had this sort of uh, either desire or stamina for wanting to go play. You know, you could you were starting to get into bigger places, one place. But when you went to some place in Europe, you're still playing this teeny club or sure. Australia or something yeah. like that. Whereas we were willing to do that. Yeah, and we and we liked put play. the hours in. And we also we were very cost conscious. I mean, for a while, Tina was the road manager. Then for many years, I was the road manager. Oh, really? And we had two crew and yeah. uh, we actually had this this was <laughs> we had this uh, when we first began touring there was this guy Gary Scoville that our manager Gary Kerfurst had found who had basically gotten a van, his friend had been shot by the uh, Connecticut State Police and the van had sat <laughs> in the parents garage for five years yeah. finally goes over, what are you going to do with that van? and he goes, oh just it away, <laughs> so <laughs> he was our mixer and our van, yeah. But so we would go out, and we and, and finally he said he needed someone to help him and he had someone to do it. But uh, we'd go out, and he was making like, like we, we, you know, we're like, uh, well. You want to split a chicken sandwich, or we'll get a grilled yeah, cheese. Yeah, yeah. And he'll go, "I'll have the prime rib." And it's like, because he was making so much money than any of us, yeah. <laughs> like we grew to really kind of hate him. Because, yeah. of, but, but Gary Kerfers keeps going, "It's the best deal out of all time." You know, <laughs> leave, yeah. it, alone, leave yeah, yeah, it alone. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and then we uh, we moved up to having uh, a crew of two: okay. one who mixed the song and one who was on stage. Uh-huh. I was the road manager. And we would tell the, the people who always wanted to do the lights. We said, no, just take all the gels off. Turn on white lights. We walk on stage, turn them on. When we walk off stage, turn them off. That's
0: it. So that was intentional. Don't, don't uh, fuck around with it. Yeah, yeah.
1: the idea, And also, one of the things that was great about it is, therefore, everybody could see everybody in the band all the time. Yeah. So, to a degree, everyone started to have their own f- fans that were a little bit, you know, interested in what they were doing, whether they were a musician that did that or a girl who thought someone was cute or a guy who thought Tina was cute, whatever. And it was, it it really worked. And then, of course, once we had the big band, that didn't really work as well. Although on the, we needed, it started to be needing to be programmed a little more. And then,
0: of course, we got all the way to Stop Making Sense where it was extremely choreographed. and sure. And, uh, but like when you did like Talking Head seventy seven, you guys had toured extensively throughout the world, and you were just like tight as fuck. And you
1: well, know. we we began Talking Head seventy seven. Then we went. On, we hadn't quite finished it, and we went off to Europe yeah. and opened for the Ramones. Okay, all over Europe. How did that go? It was fantastic. It was, you know, I had not gone to Europe always because I was in a band. Yeah, thinking I could get ahead, and like you can't leave for a couple of months. It was like. You know, I didn't join the Talking Heads until I was 28, so it was like, oh my God, we got to get to go to Europe. Yeah, that yeah. F-. And we went all over the place, like like down to Penzance in England. And yeah. All these weird places that you rarely would go in, on tour. With the Ramones. With the Ramones. In
0: and 76? 77. It was 77. Yeah. So that was everything, so that must have like, Like, the Ramones must have changed everyone over there. They did. In fact, there's a famous
1: concert, uh, July 4th, 1976, where they opened for the Flaming Groovies at the Roundhouse in London. Yeah. And that was, in many ways, a lot of the early punk bands in England were at that show.
0: And so, didn't the Heartbreakers make an impression there too, like Johnny Thunders and those guys? Yeah, but I think it was after. It was after the Ramones. It was a little bit after that. Yeah, huh. I think so. Wow! Yeah, so that was it. The Ramones planted the seed. They did plant the seed. And yeah. you guys opened for them. Uh, so that, on another that was tour.
1: a. Year, that, we were back with them a year later. Okay,
0: and then. So and they then, were kind of huge.
1: Uh, they were. They were popular. Yeah. I mean.
0: You know, yeah, and
1: right. we we uh, we uh. Uh, the fa- you know but right the people in Europe were reading about us in fanzines sure, so sure. they were reading about the New York scene so they sure. were very open minded right like talking heads and the Ramones cool yeah. right wow. yeah. we came back and tried to do it in the United States but the people were much hard no I, I'm into that aggressiveness and Wearing leather jackets of the Ramones, or I've been to the Talking right. Heads and sort yeah, team, of never team. the never the Twain, right. meet, sure, so man. to speak. It's you know? a it's
0: that, that team spirit, that team orientation, yeah. tribal. Yeah,
1: yeah. But so we, but anyway, so we had it was it was just a fantastic tour. The weather was beautiful, and uh-huh. we
0: we had a, just a. Great and so you time. came back and finished the then record. We
1: came back and finished the record, and one thing that happened out of it is that we were finishing mm. every show with Psycho Killer.
0: Yeah,
1: and. Uh, there's a version of Psycho Killer that Arthur Russell plays cello on. Right. That Tony Bon Jovi, the producer, thought was what we should put on the record. Right. And I remember having this argument, no, we have to recut it. We have to do it like we're doing it on tour. Right. Otherwise, people won't recognize it like we're on tour. No, we have to do, and I prevailed, thank God. Yeah, Right. (laughs) Because it was a totally it added it a whole just, different tone. Well, it was just softer. It was like right. you know, it was much more yeah. delicate. It was delicate and drier. And, I mean, it's not that distorted even, but it's it's aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and that became the hit. That became the hit. Yeah. And that puts you on the map. That put us on the map. And then take me to the river. Actually,
0: was a hit. On AM radio, interestingly, with the was that on seventy seven? No, or that was that on more, on more, more, more song, buildings about on, pure, more songs. And the songs about building of food, right? That was the Al Green tune, right? That's right. Yeah, then that was huge. It was really big, and we but we also
1: I've now played it the the uh, DVD I gave you called Take Me to the River. Yeah, I've got to know the Hodges brothers and Teeny Hodges wrote that song with Al Green. Yeah, and they play it it's all in the upbeat and Talking right. Heads plays it's like all like yeah, yeah, didactic yeah. on the down it's like yeah, yeah. it's a very
0: different feel between oh of course the original, you know yeah well, one sort of a you know, soul gospel tune right and yours is a kind of ours is like a march yeah it's like a, a minimalist <laughs> rock tune yeah, in a yeah, way yeah. and I think interestingly
1: David taught me the song and I learned it but I never went and listened for more than a year until after we'd recorded of, it, to of the original yeah so I wasn't influenced which was good because yeah. I, I there's one of the few songs that I sort of dominate because it's an organ song yeah yeah and oh so, so you had a clean head about it so I had a clean head a pure talking heads
0: version that's right it's yeah. like
1: Dave okay now I know the chords and yeah. I know what Chris's beat is and, and I'm hearing it. hearing the timing in David's yeah, vocal yeah. okay
0: right let's well, dig that so how does it so how does Bowie come into the picture I'm not Bowie Eno you know, so yeah. on this, when we went to uh,
1: London with the with the Ramones, Cale brought him to see us. Yeah. And then we went over to his house oh, man. and hung out and we went to this bookstore compendium yeah. that was where I finally found this book that I've been looking for called Inside Scientology that William Burroughs had reviewed sure. and then it was like, it had disappeared in the United States. No I went kidding. to all the bookstores in the United States and tried to write. There
0: were not. So were you, not you got hip to it from Burroughs, yeah, who was like extrapolating the good parts of it and saying like it's not all bad. Well, yeah, but also a lot of the bad parts. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah, sure. And
1: and so I found it at this. And so we hung out. I think David went over to Eno's um, a little more, although I wasn't even aware of it at that time. Uh-huh. But. And then we said we'd like you to make our next record, and they go. Are you sh-? He was like, "I love your first record. Are you sure? Why would you want to change?" Yeah. And we went. Well, Tony was great, but he sort of never really quite understood
0: us. And I think you do. Yeah. Well, he was all like, "That's it, see, that's another one of those weird loop arounds because Eno's like whole sense of layers was kind of you know planted by the Velvets, right?" Yeah. And then like you know that that kind of thing. I, it was it was evolving his chops as well, That's as right. a producer, and then a collaborator, ultimately, right? That's right. And he had just done Devo when he, when he produced us. Interesting, yeah.
1: And then, you know, as we did two more records, we became more and more... He just could be a little... He wasn't involved at all in writing at all for more songs about buildings and food, but he became a little more involved as we went, and of course... Most involved in the composition process on on Remain and Light. Oh, really? Dino was. Well, it was because we had not, uh, we hadn't planned, We we wrote it in the studio, so he was
0: there. But Fear of Music is like the record for me. It's, and I've argued people, about, yeah. I've argued with people about it because a lot of people are like Remain in Light, dude, and I'm like, no, Fear of Music. Well, I think it's those two definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But,
1: but I, you know, you know, I I, I I I go that it's sort of like. Well, Remain a uh, Fear of Music is the the sort of peak of the four piece, uh-huh. and then there's a whole new thing.
0: Oh, okay. So and then, that's Re- how And
1: then Remain in Light is like an invention of a whole new thing that then all these bands started copying us, and all these really? band, all these bands. Well, like the Police stole our Pack Run singers, and oh, really? All these you know, the idea of of adding percussion and adding this, people weren't doing that until unless mm-hmm. they were sort of a Certain kind of R and B band or something. Oh right. Like or yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And so anyway, so remaining light that. So the big shift was who sat down and made that decision. We all did. I would say. I think that
1: when we were making furtive of music, yeah. we had finished mixing it and we were leaving for uh, New Zealand and Australia. Yeah. And then we were going to fly and have a week off in Europe and then play Pink Pop in in uh, Copenhagen uh-huh. outside of Copenhagen. Yeah. And we were at the studio. I mean, I don't know if we were, I think we're leaving the next day. And I, I said, can we play that song, E-Zimbra? Although at, yeah. that, although at that time it was a E-Zimbra. It just was that, you know, song number five or something yeah, like yeah. that. It was an instrumental.
0: Yeah.
1: And we went, uh, all of us went, oh God, it's got to be on the record. And we, we go like, well, and so David and I then flew back 30 hours from Perth to finish Zimbra. and Dave <laughs> and, then, and Brian came up with the Hugo Ball yeah. poem. Yeah, and we finished it. And then Dave and I mastered the, went to the mastering, and then we flew overnight and played Pink Pop. Wow. Yeah, but I think that we That's all, kn- I think we all knew that E-Zimbra was where we wanted to go next. That's sort of the beginning of that being influenced by African music. Uh huh. I think we had all.
0: Discovered Manu Dibango and Fella and uh-huh. various others, but it, that what that it's more explicit in that song, you know. And then I mean, it was just infused in the other songs, and some, some of it not at all, right? Because like th- some of the songs on there, I can't like heaven, like I can't. That that song is 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 beautiful and hilarious to me, and I don't. It it is supposed to be funny, isn't it? It is. I think so.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've, I mean, I <laughs> and, and and are certainly yeah. like. Um, provocative and tongue-in-cheek a little sure. bit although I I did a version with my daughter that I sent to someone's memorial service after Uh-oh, they passed yeah. away they played it in the church interesting and everyone just because she sang it so beautifully people weren't really paying that much yeah. attention to how like, existentially they, they, horrendous they, were, <laughs> they, they like heard the word heaven and they're like great and
0: you know and they go okay this is great that's <laughs> Beautiful. So, so you do remain in white. Now you're doing this thing with Adrian. So how does that work? What is it that you're doing? We're, there's a concert, Rome 1980, that's on YouTube. Okay. And
1: uh, Adrian lives in Nashville now. And for a number of reasons, I had to go to Nashville a number of times. Is he British? No. He, he's from here? No, he's from Cincinnati, I think. Okay. Yeah. And he we talk and we'd sort of that show would come up and he goes you know my fans they they, like they get in touch with they go like i don't know what it is but that show makes me the happiest of any music i know what was the show it was the remain in light it was a version of the Remain and light band playing in rome the whole album no well whatever we what we did on that tour
0: just without david
1: no, Dave. The, oh, oh, you're talking about now?
0: No, with the. Rome uh, back,
1: one. Uh, back then, yeah. Dave is at the band. This is 1980. Oh, okay. Oh, it's, oh, and, oh right. Oh, and, so Adrian's the, in the band. It's a Bur- full fear of Bernie's, Bernie's in the band. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, you know, Dilette the, the McDonald. The full, I mean, the full uh, yes. talking heads. Yeah. Right. And so we said, why don't we try and duplicate that? Yeah. Because it's not the same as Stop Making Sense. It's a very different feel. Yeah. And so that's what we did. And I had produced this band, Turquoise, who were very well schooled in talkie heads music and they had background singers, they had horns, they had they're a big band. Yeah. So I said, this is what I think we should do because it was a friend of 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 Adrian's wanted to do it with session players. I go, I don't want session players. Get a band. They're all good also. They're all they're gonna want to charge too much or we Mm. you know. Mm. They don't know who you know this band knows who is compatible when they have to share a room, all these things. Sure. Um, so that's what we're doing with Turquoise in the middle of it had broke up, <laughs> and so now we're doing it without the lead singer and the Bands. bass player. Yeah, um, and we've been so we're playing at the Wiltern here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in we're September, playing up, yeah. playing at Harley Strictly, but it's it was all supposed to take place in twenty twenty, and then of course COVID. Okay. Came, yeah. Yeah. Came, yeah.
0: Came. So that's so that's the deal. You're going to do what, what's the, what is the set list? It's uh, a lot of the
1: songs that were done uh a lot of the songs that were done in this show in 1980 mm-hmm. uh we don't do all of the older talking head songs like we don't do uh, stay hungry yeah. we don't do animals but then we do a king crimson song
0: uh huh
1: and we do from the blue period yes uh huh and then we do uh i think it's thala something or other gunji i can't remember quite <laughs> how you pronounce it uh huh and then we do my song rev it up oh yeah it's a good one yeah. and I just listened to that today And we uh
0: and it, it, people love it. They do. It's fun. Yeah, you know it's. Fun. And now, when you do this kind of stuff, do you talk to David about it? I didn't. No. No.
1: <laughs> I mean, Dave is doing the show on Broadway. It's like, <laughs> like is, excuse me, is you know, it's he like he is
0: doing a, the show. On Broadway.
1: It's like, excuse me, what? I can't play the music too. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah You know. yeah. Right, right. I mean, at one point, I
0: thought I should tell him about it, and then I, I don't, wanna, I didn't get around to it, so I just didn't. Uh huh. I just noticed something about the discography that, and maybe I'm wrong, but it almost seems. You know, that everything with the heads leading up, you know, through Remain and Light, it almost, it's, when you look at the rest of the records, it's almost like, um, uh, did David pull a Jonathan a little bit? I In, think... in the sense that the, the, the like, Little Creatures, this becomes more quieter and childlike music. That's true.
1: It's because he, <laughs> well, he has started thinking about doing True Stories, the moot. Yeah. Writing songs for True Stories. Yeah. Little Creatures are really the songs he wrote that didn't fit True Stories. Okay. In fact, we when we recorded Little Creatures, when we were mixing Little Creatures, yeah. we went and rehearsed songs that were going to be in True Stories, uh-huh. and then we said, we're ready to record it, and E.T., who was mixing the record, would shift gears, and we would record a song for True the basic tracks for True Stories. Yeah. And then we completed it later on, uh-huh. Whenever when, when he was a, further into the movie, so that's why the songs kind of turned to that sort of Americana, mm, and because he it. was thinking about true stories.
0: And when did you guys decide what was the process of self-producing versus using Brian or anybody else? I think that we felt
1: like we would learned enough, and okay. that we could, uh, and we always hired engineers that were. Like Alex Sadkin, who then went on to be a producer. And mm-hmm. we hired engineers that had ideas.
0: But then by uh, Naked, you used Steve Lillywhite, which is kind of
1: interesting. Well, we decided then, uh, partially because it was a little bit of, the tension in the band was apparent. Okay. That let's have an outside producer. Uh, maybe I don't want to be.
0: Why was it apparent? What was happening?
1: Well, we weren't going to tour. We weren't touring anymore. Okay. I think you know Kristine and, and I are going like, well. You know it's fine to take a year or two off, but it's like, why aren't we going to ever tour again?
0: Right, and they had done the Tom Tom Club earlier. They had done the Tom Tom. And you made a couple. I made. I did
1: Casual Gods. They did the Tom Tom Club, and David did the Catherine Wheel. Oh. After After Remain in Light. And Knee Plays. That was another year later. I think.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and
1: Bush. My Life in the Bush of Ghosts. That was right before uh, Remain in Light. Okay. And so that was one of the things that maybe began let's say not feeling quite so much as a band oh, is that yeah. David and Eno had just done my life in the Bush of Ghosts. yeah and so they had this you might say current communication going on yeah which the three of the rest of us weren't a part of
0: right yeah
1: and so there was the kind of collaboration wasn't exactly the same as it had been before yeah before right
0: because he was thinking in different... In, well, using, they were they were influencing each other, but
1: the other but thing... But he wasn't thinking in terms of the band. He was also, they were thinking abstractly about what, that's why also why the music became, well, we were into African music, so sure. we were into layers and yeah. into... Yeah, um, And Chris and Tina, um, I had the patience to just go to the studio every day, even if on those days I didn't do much. Yeah. Like when we came back to New York, we, we cut all the basic tracks in three weeks in the Bahamas, a C D C was in the other room doing uh Back of the Black.
0: Back in the Black, yeah. Oh, for which one? Naked? For which, which record? No, for
1: uh Remain in Light. Oh really? And so we're uh we're, we're like Both great we, records. Uh, we uh I know. I think we did the all of the back we did all of the the tracks yeah. for Remain in Light in three weeks and they did one guitar solo and one vocal. For <laughs> In the same amount of time. (laughs) And then, like, Chris and I are going, like, going to go snorkeling, and we go, like, you guys want to go?
0: And they go, no, we're from Australia. Sharks. We don't want (laughs) to go in the water, (laughs) I would have loved it if the talking heads went snorkeling with the (laughs) ACDC. That would have been
1: great. Yeah. That would have been great. And so, anyway so we took unfortunately I think we took a break and we lost our momentum so when we got back to New York yeah I had done all of this negotiating to get us this great rate at at, uh, Sigma Sound which is where they made I had worked down at uh, Sigma Sound in in Philadelphia yeah because Busta Jones and I had become good friends and I went down and worked with him on a record and I produced my first thing I ever produced was a single for Nona Hendrix yeah and I went to Sigma in Philadelphia yeah and I really liked the professionalism that was there. Yeah, And it wasn't... Some of the New York studios, it was sort of, you'd come in there and like, you know, the tape opera, you know, the assistant would go like, oh, the Rolling Stones were in here last week. And it was like... Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I, yeah. But we're here this yeah. week. It's like, yeah. I
1: don't want to hear about the more famous people that you sure. just got to hang out sure. with. It's like, yeah. I don't want to feel like a second class <laughs> citizen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And also, what I really liked about Sigma is that they had this thing that if... There was. Studios always break down, and they would always go. This is a half-hour problem. Go in the go sure. in the lounge and come yeah. back, or they go like, "This is a two-hour problem. Why don't you go have lunch?" Yeah. Or this is a serious problem. Come back tomorrow. Right. But they, you never were. Other studios, you'd be just sitting there going, "Is it ready? Is it ready? Yeah, is yeah. it ready?" And you were like really dissipating your energy. And yeah. they were very good about
0: telling your, the truth.
1: Telling the truth, maybe. Maybe adding a little extra time, so they made sure they would get it right.
0: Right, so you wouldn't burn out. Yeah, freak and, out. and so
1: it was really effective. We we basically we worked there. I think. Well, we went to not. We didn't do speaking in tongues there, but then we went back there again. Yeah.
0: But so by the time you guys did naked, you needed you, you needed a buffer. Well,
1: we just thought it might be a
0: good idea. Okay.
1: Um, and that was the last record. It was, and. David actually had some songs pre-written for us, and we kind of, I think that Chris and Tina and I, maybe we didn't understand the songs as well, because he told us that later that they had became what he used in Ray Bomo, But they sure didn't sound like that when I heard them. Oh, you mean in one of his solo records? Yeah, the one where he has the Brazilians. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, sure. And so we kind of said, like, well, why don't we do a little bit closer to what we did on Remain Light and Speaking in Tongues, where we composed music as a group a little yeah. bit more. And then we decided like, it would be fun to go to Paris, and then Wally Baderu, who, who had lived in the Bahamas above Compass Point and we'd gotten to know, yeah. that he organized a whole bunch of African musicians to come and
0: jam with us at different times. Oh wow, that's great.
1: It was great. Yeah, uh, you know, D- David I don't think has the fondest memories of it, but I, I thought it was just wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it's and I a, also think it's a terrific record. I think it's. I don't think it gets enough credit. I think it's particularly, a great record. I also think the second side is my favorite. I think the really, dem, I like the Democratic Circus.
0: I think it's just an incredible song. I gotta. I'm gonna have to like you know whip it out, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. re-listen. That's quite a dis, you know. I, I mean, the bulk of work that you did with them and solo and, and Modern Lovers, and and also all the producing and everything. I mean, you know, you've had a, a pretty amazing career. I think so. And what, now tell me what this stuff is you're doing with the weird old Jonathan. So so this <laughs> I, idea- I better not say insulting things about him. I love Jonathan Richmond. People always ask me, can you interview him? And I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think he'll do it. I don't know what that guy does. Well, if you want to interview him, I'll put it, I'll tell him he should do it. Okay. Is he around? Where is he? Chico. Okay. People, like, does he talk to anybody? Yeah, he's very. He and I have become really good friends. Okay. Again. Oh, so what? How? So, What's this so,
1: work? So what happened is yeah. that uh, Light in the Attic wanted to put out the um, the A Modern Lovers record, the yeah. original Modern Lovers record again, but, but put out every cut, uh, every version. Oh wow! That we cut. And Jonathan called me up and he goes, "Jerry, I've been listening to this. I, I think we should do it." And he goes, "I didn't realize." Maybe because I was singing, but like particularly on the ones where I didn't do a vocal, yeah how much you and I were playing off each other and I would really i'm it was it's really great I really it was like the interplay is really great, yeah I'm gonna be making a record Do you want to come on play on a couple of songs yeah and I go, sure, yeah, so it went really well and you know the other people that were playing Which record with, was that this is saw okay so and he goes. Well, why don't you come back? And I, and the people he was working with is going, God, is so great, Jerry. Like, you make suggestions and Jonathan actually listens to them. Wow. Like, when we do, they, he doesn't. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he's been through a lot of people. Yeah. And the studio was less than ideal. And so we got we got some rough mixes and I yeah. said, why don't we, I have this engineer who I think is the perfect mixer for this. Yeah. So come over to my house and we'll mix the, this album. Okay. So we did that yeah. and he got to love this guy and then we cut... Uh, another we we recut Old World by the way is on, on the saw. best
0: the best yeah and then we how'd you do it was it different totally different
1: it's of course much more stripped down mm. and how about she cracked no we didn't do that but I I
0: do that I perform that myself you do? all the time do you know who that's about no I don't because there's a couple songs on that record yeah. where it's he's clearly talking about a but, certain woman yeah yeah
1: uh. and he was very well, he always was talking about how He wasn't into, like at the period of the modern lovers, like when girls were wearing hot pants. What about hospital? How great Uh, is that fucking song? I know it's amazing. It's amazing. I just got chills saying it. Yeah, we. we, we, (laughs) we, we, So when we came down, when we when we came out to L.A., uh, this management firm, Schiffman Larson, who did Uh Loggins and Messina, yeah, uh, Todd Schiffman had been the Doors agent, and they go, "We we, we're going to put you on this concert." Yeah. And it was in San Bernardino when we were opening for Tower of Power and Lee Michaels. <laughs> so we walk on stage and, uh, you know, it's everyone's going, rock and roll, yeah. rock and roll. And yeah. like, when we go into like, the
0: hospital, yeah. it's
1: like, fuck you, yeah. <laughs> and like, and like stuff is being thrown at us And it and starts like with that. you,
0: doesn't it, hospital? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. When you get out of the hospital, let me back into you your let, life. Will you let me back
1: into your life? Come on, <laughs> that is <so> funny. <laughs> it. It's it, it, it's it's a fantastic song, Lee Michaels. I mean, like talk about a miscast. Well, that happens so much with bands.
0: They just like they just stick bands on these you know huge bills. Well, but you know.
1: one of the things we did with Elliot Murphy is we opened for Shada Na, which was like, it was like. That's you know, bizarre. Were, it was so
0: bizarre. It's like, but Jonathan must have got a kick out of that. No, not with Jonathan. Oh, this wait, is
1: with Elliot Murphy. But some oh, I mean, oh just way talking, back. Oh yeah, are talking yeah. about bad bills. Sure, sure, bad bills. Sure.
0: Yeah. you know, the opening act. It's rough. They're like, who can we get cheap? Who needs to work? Yeah. Right. All right. So, so okay. So you're working with Jonathan. So it was. So we finished that record, and then we mixed it at my house. Did a yeah. couple more songs,
1: and then we were going to do another one. And then it was like when the COVID thing hit, yeah. and then so we did it. I think this year, yeah, the one he gave me. Yeah, I think it's, it's either this year or last year. But we and his wife is playing uh, the Indian instrument, the tambour. Uh huh. So it's John, it's me playing a lot of uh, harmonium, uh huh, and a mellotron. Okay. And Jonathan playing and Tommy playing guitar, playing guitar, yeah, like flamenco style yeah. but that he <laughs> likes to do. Yeah. And we recorded it all at once. He's singing in our living room, and it was like it's just cut live. And it's amazing. Is, Is he, he singing? Yeah. Oh man. Okay. And the, and the and the it like I said, both these albums, they just don't sound like anything that's going on in music right now. So that's what it's just so wonderful, Oh, that, I'm so curious
0: now. Yeah.
1: It's great that you guys are back together again. I know, it's great. We're like really good friends. He'll call me up and start talking about because I started architecture and he's become a mason. A bricklayer? Yeah. And so he'll like makes pizza ovens and various things really? like this. And <laughs> He'll go, yeah, you know, and he's really into like.
0: You got your architecture degree?
1: No, I didn't, but I, you know, oh, okay. you know he had no idea. You know I'd enough. He's yeah. interested in studying. Sure. And so he, he was going, you know, I'm really into the old, old border, like the, the uh, Romans oh, used, the lime. Cr- of course. You know, it's, yeah. like, it's like. You know, Portland cement is stronger, but there's like weaknesses, and it dries out. And yeah. like the Romans, they do a different mixture if it's in the sun or if it's in the shade. Huh. So, what side of the wall is going to be? You use a different mortar, and and he goes, you know, there's a lot of people that like maybe are a mason and their hobby is doing
0: music. Yeah, I'm a musician. I'm a professional musician. My <laughs> hobby is doing masonry. <laughs> and he does contract work for people. Yeah, in uh, up around Chico. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. I right. have. I do have other interests. I mean, I
1: have companies I've started and other interesting things I'm doing. Oh, yeah? Do you like want a, to talk about it? Like what? Sure. Like, well, I have a company that's uh, antidote... For, I just came from Venom Week. Venom Week? Yes, where I gave the keynote address.
0: What's Venom Week?
1: All things about toxins and poisons. What? Yeah. This is you a want, company... You want to talk about this? We're talking about it. Okay. I had this party where oh. I... I had met these neuroscientists, and I had started hiking uh-huh. with one of them. And I, I, I said, "God, there's a lot of smart people in this." And I'm sort of into the startup scene yeah. in, in San Francisco. And I go, yeah. "Does anyone have any great ideas?" And this guy kind of timidly goes, "I do." Yeah, I have this idea about how people don't have to die from neurotoxic snake bites, like cobras. Yeah, and yeah, sure. Coral snakes, yeah. and stuff. I like, well, and they started to explain to me like that. How many, I mean, uh, there's a uh, like. Mosquitoes kill the most people. Really, humans kill the next most people. Yeah, Sakes are next. Not, really, 125,000 people a year die of snake bites. Really, half, half a million at least, a half a million maimings. That's and, crazy. Yeah, and it's been and the treatment, which anti-venom, was invi- invented in the 1880s, and there really haven't been that many improvements uh-huh. since then. Uh-huh. So we've come up with a small molecule that it, that. Uh, attacks a particular toxin that is one of the most noxious in the in the sort of uh I don't know every every venom is like a sort of, the spectrum, to, a of a toxin. spectrum of a spectrum of these toxins yeah. and and there's a problem with antivenom in in that it has to really come from the exact species otherwise it is not very effective
0: mm, it's like a vaccine
1: and it's also very expensive mm. like in the United States if you get bit by say the Pharmacological cost could be sixty to a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So we have this thing that is going to be, we believe, it will be a a something you could have in your pocket and you could eat it when you, if you got bit by a snake and it will definitely help you get to the hospital. And in some cases, it would be all with certain snakes, it might be all you need.
0: Wow! No kidding.
1: Yeah. And See. So we started this company a decade ago. And I thought it was going to be something like oh, I'll just introduce this to a friend of mine who works at the Gates Foundation, yeah, yeah. and they'll take it from there, yeah. But and no, then, it's big. And then huh? they didn't. Yeah, and I said we have to start a company because we can't. Rip- oh, you
0: thought like Gates would get it around to like everybody that needs it in the yeah, malaria they, world? You know, they're like, all all, the yeah, like he's the malaria yeah, guy. Yeah, but yeah. they
1: went. They went, It's it's not an infectious disease. It's not our wheelhouse. Ah. So I was like, okay, so we've been working on this and improving it, and we're actually in clinical trials in. Uh, India and in the United States. That's right, crazy,
0: right now. man! Like we start bringing up toxins, and start thinking about burrows again because he was all fascinated yeah. with all those you know, toxins, all kinds of bugs and bites and yeah. like, snakes.
1: Uh, and and so so the the other thing is we yeah. think it possibly is a treatment for what people die from COVID from acute respiratory distress syndrome. Oh, really? Because it's it's a immune suppressant, uh-huh. the same way the steroids are, uh-huh. but it also protects the surfactants of the lungs. The surfactants of the lungs. Are sort of the grease, you know, because you breathe. All these cells are moving next to each other. Yeah, yeah. And the uh, what they call the cytokine storm attacks that. Yeah. And it's it's uh, and it's all uh, what's called SPLA two. Yeah. We are an SPLA two inhibitor, so we're in a clinical trial for that as well.
0: Wow, man! Second life, third life, or another thing, another thing. Well, you know.
1: I, I, you know I've done a lot of I, I was also like on the board of directors of a microprocessor company that a friend of mine uh-huh. for a long time and I started GarageBand.com which was the you know that not the thing on Apple but yeah. the thing that was uh, sort of crowdsourcing music oh really yeah. a new way to find developing stars oh interesting those are the 90s did you sell that? No, it kind of fell apart, and then it became I like, and I okay. remained on it, and then it got sold eventually to MySpace. I mean, unfortunately, Apple wanted to buy it for a lot of money. Yeah, and the venture capitalists who had invested it wanted us to make much more money. They thought we were, the f- we had gone from like three million to thirty million users in yeah. six months. Yeah,
0: so they held out. They held and out. Then and disappeared. And then, and then Steve Jobs is like, it's like you know that was a one-time offer. Get out of here. We'll sure. I'll do it myself. Wow, so you kept you kept really keep really busy. Is music still the most rewarding though, ultimately? Or? Well,
1: you know, I kinda went and I got I think that I I got into thinking about other things and finding once again thinking about science and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm really liking the fact that this is really stretching my mind. And yeah. I'm, and um to a degree because I started GarageBand.com and I went a couple of, I did a couple of albums that never came out and things yeah. like that my trajectory as a producer began, yeah. began to decrease. I didn't wasn't getting the bands that would get the support for the record right. company. I, mean, yeah. I did the Von Bondys and I got support. And yeah. I recently did the Butcherettes who I think are really fantastic. But you start to get frustrated. It's like if you make a record but nobody's gonna hear it, it's not very it's rewarding. A it's idea. not so rewarding. Yeah. And so these companies came along and I went, This is really fascinating. It's sure. like really inspiring me. Yeah. But then a few years ago I'm like I'm really missing playing music. I'm oh, yeah. really listening, and that's why now I'm on tour with
0: Adrian. I'm, oh, great! I'm missing this. It's all gravy now, Jerry. <laughs> it's all—you know what I mean. You can have fun. I don't know. I think I get up and whether I was
1: giving the speech at Venom Week yeah. or I played the concert, I still get nervous, and it's like I gotta, I gotta, I gotta perform today. I gotta
0: oh, believe me. He's yeah. just talking to you. Every time I have to talk to somebody or do stand up or whatever, it's good that you know you don't want to be too fearless because then you know, and it's like am i you know am i challenging myself yeah. am i in this you know yeah. am i a sweep during this or am i engaged you right. know? great talking to you great to talk to you jerry harrison's how sweet is that he gave me the record the jonathan richmond record the odd one and it's like it's it's great to hear him singing again i don't know what to make of it I have to listen to it again, but I was very happy to talk to Jerry. Uh, again, he's doing the Remain in Light tour with Adrian Ballou on September 29th at the Wiltern here in Los Angeles. Tickets are on sale now. I'm going to just hang out for one second, please. Thank you. All right, so Montreal this weekend, I'll be hanging around. I'm going to do the gala or the gala. And, yeah, there my gala, my gala is uh, pretty good. I, I There's a lot of good people on it. Coincidentally, hold on, I'll tell you exactly who's on it. Rosebud Baker, who's been on this show. Zainab Johnson, who will be on this show on Thursday. Big Jay Okerson, he's been on this show. Gina Yashir, who I don't know. The Scar brothers, of course, who I've known since they were children. Rice Nicholson, I don't know. Rob Bevanek, nope. Iman El-Husani, or Iman El-Husseini. I don't know. But it's good. I believe there's probably still tickets for it. It's on, what day is it? It's on July 30th, on Saturday. I think I've got a set in my mind for what I'm going to do. Um, for the gala. And uh, yeah, and the other one, the, the the solo show, Friday, July 28th, and, and Saturday, July 29th at the uh, Sao Claude... Le Veille, uh, which is part of the uh, Place des Arts. Is that right? I don't know. It's probably sold out, but go to hahaha.com or WTFpod.com slash tour. It's weird. There's something triggering about going to Montreal. I just always, I for years, I felt sidelined by the entire business, and now I'm comfortable over here on the side. It's weird. It's not bad over here on the side. I think I prefer it, actually. It's less pressure here on the side. In August, I'll be in Columbus, Ohio at the Southern Theater on August 4th. Indianapolis, Indiana, I'm at the Old National Center on August 5th. Louisville, Kentucky at the Bomb Hard Theater. August 6th, I will try not to bomb hard at the bomb hard. Then I'm back at Dynasty Typewriter in LA August 14th. Lincoln, Nebraska at the Rococo Theater on August 18th. Des Moines, Iowa at the Hoyt Sherman Place on August 19th. And Iowa City, Iowa at the Inglert Theater on August 20th. All those out of town shows. I will be joined by Lara Bites, the very funny Lara Bites. Then in September, I'm in Tucson, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona boulder colorado and toronto ontario canada in october i'm in london england and dublin ireland go to wtfpod.com slash tour for all tour dates and ticket info uh zaynab johnson will be here thursday i enjoyed uh, talking to her very much i like her um and uh yeah here's some guitar that took me a long time to record Over and over and over again, I still didn't quite get it right. So what's new? So what's fucking new? and La Fonda cat angels everywhere I'm sweating I'm fucking sweating